Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. to Exodus chapter 33. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11. And I'll just spend a few minutes here. By the way, just to kind of close on what I shared before, anyone, you can receive from anyone when they come up here to speak, by the way. That's something I heard one time, and believe it or not, it was the guy that as he was speaking, I was saying, I can't receive a word from this guy. And his word was, when someone is speaking, you can always receive something. And that was, I never forgot that. And so no matter who comes up here, we're locked in. We're saying, Lord, even if 99% of it I don't understand, I don't agree with, God, there's going to be that one part that God will, will minister to you. You don't want to miss that. So Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 through 11. And the title of this message is A Thousand Yards to Revival. A Thousand Yards to Revival. And before we jump in this, and I believe God has spoken something really personal for us here, let me just give you a quick context to what's taking place, and then we'll jump in. We're going to be looking at Moses and the Israelites at a very critical part of their journey through the wilderness. They have already left Egypt, and they're heading to the Promised Land. And they've made a a pit stop, if you will, at Mount Sinai. And this is a critical part of their journey because it's here where God will call Moses up to the top of Mount Sinai and inscribe his holy law on the tablets. And amazingly, at this time, while God is giving these holy commandments, literally starting with, you shall have no other gods before me, at the same time, you have the Israelites at the base of the camp already turning to other gods. And so what happens is, is they tell Aaron, Moses' brother, I don't know where your brother is, he's taking so long, make us a god that we can worship. Aaron, for whatever reason, gives into this and says, okay, give me all of your jewelry. And so he melts it down and makes a golden calf. And they begin to worship this golden calf while Moses is at the top of the mountain at Mount Sinai. God tells Moses, you need to go down to your people and see what's taking place. As Moses comes down, he begins to hear a ruckus with his, uh, with his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun. And Joshua says, what is that? It sounds like there's war that has broken out in the camp. And Moses says, that's not the sound of victory. That's not the sound of defeat. He says, that's the sound of singing. And when he gets closer, he realizes there is a festival going on as they worship this golden calf. And Moses is like, what are you doing? And he takes his tablets, because he had a little bit of an anger problem, and he smashes them. So I'll have to go back up and get two more. But he smashes them, and, 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 and he said, what are you guys doing? And long story short, because of this, there were some serious consequences. There was death that permeated through the camp. There was a plague that went through that took lives. And then finally, worst of all, God threatened to take his presence from them. And he tells Moses, you go on to the promised land. I'll send an angel with you. But as for me, I'm not going. And this is where it picks up Moses' response to God saying, I'm going to take my presence. Listen to this, Exodus 33, verses 7 through 11. A thousand yards to revival. It says this, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. So this is not the tabernacle. Okay, the tabernacle hasn't even been constructed yet. This is a separate tent. And it says, anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. 
Verse 9, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud, the presence of God would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. Verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. A thousand yards to revival. I'll explain what that means in just a moment. But here you have these people, the Israelites, on the verge of a spiritual decline. They're on the verge of God's presence being taken from them. They are on the verge of, of really completely falling apart. And as I, as I was just reading through this, I'm thinking to myself, at least what I believe the Lord is pressing upon my heart, is what would it take? What would it take for these people to be awakened? What would it take for these people who have really, in so many ways, have turned their back on God, have begun to worship other things, this land has already become barren and dead, what would it take to experience an awakening, a revival, a renewal? What would God's plan be, his, his method, to reach these people and in this just short few scriptures, we see that God's plan is he raises up one man. One man who was willing to go out and begin to seek the face of God on behalf of the people. Moses understood, listen, we need our tents, we need our food as we travel through, we need all of that. But if we have that in abundance, but your presence does not go with us, we have nothing. And so Moses began to seek the face of God, saying, Lord, would you touch these people and this land one more time? Later on, in a few verses after what we read, it talks about Moses who literally tells the Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not moving forward. And then he goes on to say, what will distinguish us from the rest of the people? And I shared this briefly before our last service with our impact team, but let me just say this again. This is so important. I believe something God has highlighted here is what will distinguish us from everyone else? What distinguishes what we do here from anything else? And as I thought about this, I said, every job, every, every business, every, every good nonprofit, they all have their core values that they hold to. They all have a mission statement that they follow. They all have leaders who are probably passionate about what they're doing. They all have people who give up their personal time to make this thing work. They're all committed to a good cause. So what is it that separates us? Moses says, what will distinguish us from everyone else? His presence. His presence is what distinguishes us. And Moses understood without that, we have nothing. And so this one man began to take this walk to this tent to begin to seek the face of God that he would touch his people and his land one more time. And it says in verse 7 that he would take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Now there's no doubt that this is something very symbolic because God is threatening to remove his presence, so there's no doubt that there's, there's symbolism here of he has to go outside to see God from the camp because God is threatening to leave. But in the midst of that, there is a beautiful principle that emerges from this. And it's, it's, it's this simple. I saw the picture of the prayer closet come out of this. 
Because if Moses was to seek the face of God and see God move and touch this barren land and touch these people who are declining spiritually and turning their backs on the Lord, Moses would have to break away from the camp. He would have to break away from the daily rhythms of life. He would have to break away from his daily routine. He would have to break away from his distractions, and he would have to go outside the camp, far away to the prayer closet, to the inner chamber, to the secret place, to the, to the quiet place where he would begin to behold the face of God on behalf of his people. And the rabbinic traditions say that this tent that was placed outside of the camp was about a thousand yards away. And so day after day after day, Moses would take this walk of a thousand yards to go to this camp, to go to this small tent that was located outside of the camp. And I believe Moses knew. He had many responsibilities with these people, many responsibilities. He acted as a judge and many other things, but Moses knew his greatest work, his greatest responsibility was what took place in this tent outside the camp. It is a call for each and every one of us. If we are to see, hear me, hear me on this. I believe what God said is if we are to see God move in Mastic Beach, it will not be because of our great strategies we have. It will be because we are a people who are willing to step out of our normal lives, recenter our lives, reorient our lives, and go to that tent, go to that private place, and begin to seek the face of God on behalf of this land and say, God, would you touch this land one more time? If we are to see Long Island come alive, they say it's a pastor's graveyard. As great as our strategies are, if the presence of God is not with us, it will fail. God is looking for a people... He is looking for a body who is willing to say, Lord, what is most important is your presence, and I will go to seek it, Lord. If you don't go with us, we have nothing. And this isn't a whole body that goes. This isn't a whole group. This is one man. One man is willing to say, Lord, I'll go. I will change my life. I'll put other things on the side. I will go to this place and seek you. One man began to change the tide of a whole nation. It's one of the most beautiful examples of revival. We know Jesus is the master of this. He's the master of withdrawing to the secret place. Over and over we see him do it. And here's what I love about this tent. It's just a regular tent. I believe it's such a beautiful picture of, of the prayer closet, the inner chamber that we are to have with the Lord. As I said, it's not the tabernacle. This means that there's, there's no sacred furniture in here. There's no, there's no golden lampstand. There's no showbread. There's no places for sacrifices here. There's no beautiful veil just to stare upon. No, no, no. There's only one purpose when you come to this tent, to inquire of the Lord, to commune with him. That is the essence of the prayer room, of the secret chamber. When we go there, we go there for one purpose. We come to behold him. And Moses goes here, again, not with a fancy prayer meeting, not with a large amount of people. There's nothing wrong with that. But I want you to see, I want you to hear the, the Spirit speak to you that he's looking for anyone who would will, be willing to say, I will go. And anyone who's willing to step out and change their life to say, God, what's most important is for me to seek your face for my family, for my personal life, for our community, for our schools. That is what's going to change this place is when God touches our land. Until that happens, we can do this Sunday after Sunday and never see anything change. This is not just a revival and, and, a, and a call to see God move in our community, but it's our personal lives. It's our families. Many of us have broken families, people that are bound. 
And I feel the Lord is saying, Andrew, call them to get away with me. If they're willing to go to that tent outside the camp and seek me, they will see me do what they could never do. They will move from a place of the natural into the supernatural. E.M. Bounds says, prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Leonard Ravenhill said, no man is greater than his prayer life. Failing here, we fail everywhere. He also went on to say that prayer is not preparation for the battle. It is the battle. God is asking for a people that would understand their dependence on him, that would say, Lord, we can have all the nice things, but if we don't have you, this land will never change. And I heard a stirring in my heart for people to rise up to say, I will go. I will change my life, Lord, on behalf of my family, on behalf of this this community, this school, and we will see God one more time touch this land. We will see the hearts of people be restored. That's how we experience a God move, and I believe it's that simple. It's, it's beginning to get away with him consistently and daily and pray for him to do what only he can do. As a, as a very young church, I have signed up for just about every newsletter there is on church growth strategies. The problem is I don't know how to unsubscribe to them, so they keep coming. <laughs> and I get email after email, sometimes 50 at a clip, of all the strategies to grow the church and to reach the lost. Now, let me be clear. We should, the the Bible speaks of, this is the fancy word, contextualize the gospel. It means the gospel stays the same, but we should be masters of taking the gospel and understanding our community and changing our methods to reach our community. We absolutely should be good at that. Paul, the apostle, was a master of this. And the other thing I'd say is we need to be careful, too, because I have seen often, um, sometimes we can hide behind uh, disorder and dysfunction, and not moving in excellence, and we do it all in the name of we're being spirit-led. But that's, that's, not, that's not what I'm talking about either. But what I will say is I have received hundreds of emails that promise this is what you must do to experience a, a move of God. But never once do you really hear the, the call to, to literally get into the prayer closet and begin to cry out to God to breathe on this land. Without the spirit, there's no life. So it doesn't matter what we do. If God doesn't breathe, that's the only way we'll see the dead come to life. I received an email the other day, and again, I just, uh, this is not an elitist thing. It's just, it's just funny to me that the email that I got was about um, your chairs, And it was paragraph after paragraph after paragraph of how I should, or how the church should set up their chairs in order for people to experience an optimal or the best experience they could have on a Sunday service. And then I received another email that talked about the air conditioning and the perfect temperature so people don't check out and doze off. And look, we we should. We should have our chairs set up right. We should. We should do that with excellence. And if you have air conditioning, it should be on something that's normal. But no one is going to walk in here and say, my goodness, it feels like 68 degrees in here. (laughs) And look at the chairs. They're just right. Wow, I need Jesus. (laughs) Listen, it sounds silly, but I have found even in these few months, I've gotten swept away in these things, focusing on all these strategies. And God says, my son, don't miss it. You can have the perfect chairs, the perfect AC. Everything can be perfect. But if I'm not there moving and breathing on people, it's the only way someone who is dead can come to a life. It's the only way. 
And I sense it in my heart. I do. I believe God has given me vision on these things that we can see this if we would be willing to change our lives and say, God, I'm going after you. I believe Massac Beach will be a beacon of hope, a place that no one wanted to go. I believe it, that it will be a beacon of light if we would seek his face to breathe on this place and touch this land. One of my favorite speakers on prayer, well, I never heard him speak. I've just read his books, but Ian Bounds, he was during the Civil War, and he wrote a book called Power Through Prayer, and he talks about this idea of strategies, and he, he speaks at length about how they're good, but he says that the church is always looking for new methods, new strategies, new plans to reach people. But he said, since the beginning, God has already chosen his method. It's always been man. When God wants to move amongst his people, he raises up a man, he raises up a woman who would be willing to seek his face full of the spirit, the anointing of God on him to go in and begin to change the tide of an entire community. He goes on to say that the anointing of God does not come upon our plans and our methods. The anointing of God comes upon the man. The church looks for better methods. God is looking for better men, men and women who are soaked in prayer, who understand who God is, who have touched him, who have tasted him, who walk with an authority and an anointing that when they speak, there's weight. When they speak, there's life. Now, you know when you've encountered those people. We had a man here just the other Saturday. When he spoke, it was spirit to my spirit. It was literally like living water I was receiving because this was a man who knew the Lord and spent time with him. The power of prayer. Let me share this story in the gospel. The gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 14 to 23. Just hear me on this. This is another word I believe God gave me personally just this week. Are you guys familiar with this story? Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration with his disciples. Peter, James, and John were with him. All the rest of the disciples were at the base of the mountain. And when Jesus comes down, there's a great commotion taking place. What's happened is there's the religious leaders fighting with the disciples. And there's a lot of people standing around. And Jesus says, what is going on here? And they're still fighting. And finally, this father steps out and says, well, it's my son. He's been possessed by this demonic spirit. And your disciples tried to cast it out, but they couldn't. They couldn't do it. And so Jesus goes on to talk about faith and whatnot. And then finally he says, bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. And when the boy comes, the spirit throws him on the ground. It would cause him to foam and get rigid. And, and Jesus says to the father, how long has he had this? And the father says, since he's been a child. In fact, this, this spirit will often try to throw him into the fire or throw him into water to kill him. And Jesus, uh, and basically the father says, if you, if you could have pity on me, have pity. And if you can do anything, and Jesus says, if, if I can, he says, anything is possible for he who believes. And long story short, Jesus takes the boy and touches him and delivers him from this stronghold on his life. And his disciples pull him away afterwards and say, why could we not do that? And Jesus said, this kind comes only out through prayer and fasting. This is a profound statement that Jesus is making. Literally, all of their strategies, and I believe well-intended, all of their plans, all of their trying to break this stronghold over this boy's life came up short again and again and again. And I wonder what that might have looked like as they tried something else. Let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this. 
But at the end of the day, what the disciples needed was for Jesus himself to come off the mountain and touch this boy. What Jesus is teaching them is that, yes, there is a power that is ours, but it's not ours ourselves. It is Christ in us that we possess. And that power manifests as we grow in proximity to Jesus in prayer. He calls us to be intimate with him in prayer because it's in that intimacy that we have access to a power that can break the strongest of strongholds. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? It's profound. He's saying you have access to something that can tear down the strongest strongholds around you. And here's what I heard the Lord say. Andrew, there are strongholds in this community. There are strongholds in people's lives. And your strategies can't break them. There is only one way they will be broken, through prayer and fasting, when Jesus Christ himself touches it. Then we will experience revival and renewal. So the good song going on there. <laughs> what is that? Oh, can, we, can we click that? Just click it off. <laughs> So hear me on this as they're figuring out the mystery phone. <laughs> There's a guy by the name of Michael Koulianos. Eric Gilmore had mentioned him. He has a ministry called Jesus Image. It's really incredible ministry. You go around the world and, again, just incredible what takes place there. And Michael Koulianos, uh, I was, I'm reading his book right now called Holy Spirit. He talks about how God gave him a vision for the Mediterranean. And he saw all these different types of people there. In particular, he saw, he saw Greeks. He saw Greece. And so right after this, he said, I'm going. And he tried all these ways to get into Greece, and every single way got denied. And so finally he felt the stirring to pray and fast. And he started to do that with some of his team. And they were praying for 40 days doing different things, different types of fast. And finally one night he said he had this vision. He, he said it was so clear. He literally it was with an angel. He could see himself, and he saw this battling going on as he's rebuking these these demonic spirits that are attacking him, and, and, uh, and finally the, he hears the voice of the Lord say, Michael, just begin to worship. And he begins to worship, and the moment he worships, he said there's this, just like this light that just dropped off in this room, and everything fleed. But this is the important part. Then he heard the voice of the Lord say, Michael, because you have prayed and fasted, I'm giving you the keys to Greece. I'm giving you the keys to Greece. Listen, we have to understand how powerful prayer is with fasting. It, and it gives us access to a power to break strongholds. This is how we are going to experience victory in this land. Michael would go on to Greece and see incredible things take place. Prayer is the key. I've heard story after story of men of God that have been used in mighty ways, and it's always the same thing. I see the same pattern over and over. The key theme is they are men who have mastered the art of withdrawing from life to be with him. It's always the same. And because of that, they flow with a certain anointing, and God works through them in incredible ways. Peter and John in the book of Acts, they healed a layman at the, at the, at the temple gate in Acts chapter 3. In the next chapter, they're before the Sanhedrin, and they're, they're questioning these men. They say, we don't understand. These are ordinary, unschooled men. But they said, but they must have been with Jesus. The power they flowed with was a sign of their intimacy with the Lord. God wants to release something in us to, to, to be this type of people. And I've read so many stories of just incredible men and women of God who have learned that art of getting away and have disciplined themselves to do that. 
And if you're not careful, you read these stories, and you, as I did, you can feel at first a little bit condemned and a little bit like you're striving for something, and it can have an unhealthy feeling. There's an excitement, but, but I started going after that, and I realized, man, I'm just like trying to match their time of how long they do this, and this isn't working. And, uh, and the Lord showed me something, and then Crystal, Pastor Crystal confirmed it this week. He reminded, Crystal reminded me of when we were first dating, and I remember when we had a little more time how we didn't want to separate when the night would come to an end, right? We had to, but what would we do? We'd go in a, in a minivan and just sit there for hours as the sunrise would come up. We'd go down by the water, and whatever we could do, just so that we could technically say, look, we, we weren't sleeping together. We, were just, we just were hanging out together, right? And I remember one time in Montauk, we... We hung out all night, and then, uh, and then we wanted to see sunrise, and I think it was like an hour of sleep, but we woke up, our eyes were bloodshot, but we were so excited that we were going to be able to watch sunrise, and there was nothing like driving to the end of Montauk on the jetty as the sun was coming up, and, and she was laying in my arms. I said, man, this is, it doesn't matter how tired I was, right? I believe like, this is what these men experience. When you hear about this, it may start in discipline, but as you experience Jesus and his sweetness and his goodness, you will find that that time with him moves from discipline to delight. And literally, you will experience, when, if you've ever read anything where they say, man, hours go by like this, and it's the most precious time. It's here where God molds us and changes us. And so verse 10 tells us that Moses seeking the Lord... Not only does it personally change him, but there's something quite profound that takes place in the people. It says, whenever the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. This is incredible. Let me just bring things to a close here. As Moses would enter in, the first thing that stuck out to me is that Moses is initiating contact with God. God isn't calling Moses. Moses is going to meet with God, and God, when he sees that man go into this tent, comes to meet with him. It's the scripture of James 4, 6, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I thought this was incredible that Moses is going to the prayer room, and God is seeing this man and saying, I want to meet with this man. And Moses comes in, and, and he has an encounter with, with the Lord here, and when he would enter into the tent, the presence of God, the pillar of cloud, would fall at the entrance. And what was the result? Those that watched as Moses would walk by, as they saw the presence of God, they began to worship God themselves. In other words, these people who literally a chapter before were worshiping a golden calf, their hearts had turned from God. One man began to rise up, began to pitch a tent far away and began to seek God. And as he was seeking God, the presence of God was falling. And those in his community began to experience God's presence and their hearts began to be turned back to him. This is how we will see people coming back to the Lord is when they touch and encounter his presence. And one of the most incredible things is Joshua, son of Nun. You'll read past this. Joshua, son of Nun, his aide was at this tent. And when he would leave, he would have to stay, most likely because he was asked to guard it. But either way, Joshua, from a young age, his life was marked and stained by encounters with the presence of God. Because Moses would go, Joshua would have to be there. And I just, I wonder, when Moses died off in his generation... And they couldn't enter into the promised land. And God was looking for someone to raise up. Who took over from Moses? Joshua, son of Nun. 
the man who had been stained and marked since a young boy, being in the presence of God, I believe God said, that man, that man I can trust. He has tasted me. He has seen me. He knows me. And he knows how valuable my presence is. I'm going to raise him up to go. Anyone. God can use anyone. Do you know it says that Moses, when he prayed, it was face to face as a friend. Do you know Moses' background? He was a murderer. He was a murderer. He had such a change in his life that God called him a friend. Anyone who's willing to step out and say, God, I will go to be with you. God says, I will work through this person. I will do the miraculous through their life. The last thing I'll share here is that he went alone. It says that it was open to all people to go, but most likely it's believed that only a small group went with Moses. And even more so than that, it's believed that only Moses went by himself for a while in the beginning. Moses took this walk again and again and again by himself. And I wonder, I wonder if there's ever a time in Moses' life in doing this that he said, what, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this again and again and again? I go to seek the presence of God. Is this even worth it? And I was reminded of a, a, a personal encounter I had with the Lord that I was, I needed, I felt the Lord was calling me away to go to uh, just be alone with him. I didn't know where, but I just know I needed time with the Lord. And so I went to my pastor and spoke with him. I went to my in-laws and they had a house in Vermont and basically everything worked out. And most importantly, I went to Crystal and she allowed me to go to Vermont for a week, just me and the Lord. I just went there to pray and the fast. And three days in, I was, I made one phone call and I called Crystal. And I said, I'm leaving. Like, I can't do this. This is, I was just starting to break. And she just basically told me, you, you know what you got to do. And so I got off the phone and I just started praying. And the Lord brought me to Galatians 7, 7, 9, uh, Galatians 6, 7 through 9. And this is what it says. I'm going to close here. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. So let me stop there. This is what I've known of this scripture. I came out of a ministry where this scripture was used a lot. It was always to say, hey, what you're doing in darkness, it's going to come to light. And that's true. But anytime I ever heard about this, I, I was always like, man, when God brought me to the scripture, I'm like, okay, he wants to highlight that I'm wrestling with him, that I'm having a hard time with him. And he just wants to tell me that he sees that. And I'm going to reap destruction because of this. <laughs> and then God said, keep reading, my son. And I went on to the next and says, whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. God is saying he will not be mocked if a man would put him first, if a man would seek him and he sows in the spirit, most definitely he will reap in the spirit. You may not see it right away, but don't quit. Is it worth it to take your lunch break in your car just to worship God doing it day after day and say, is this even worth it? Yes. Keep sowing in the spirit. Is it worth it when you rise in the morning and you're tired and say, why am I doing this? God says, don't give up. Keep sowing in the spirit over and over. Whatever it looks like in your life, keep pursuing, keep seeking him. For in due time, we will reap a harvest. And when we are people who do this, we will see God move miraculously in this land. I'm going to ask just Brittany to come forward. She can just play something on the keyboard. We're just going to close here. And I really felt just called to just have a few people pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on from here. But I believe that God wants to start something and impart something right here. 
that would create a spark in our personal lives. And just let me share this, and then we'll pray. The truth of the matter is Moses was seeking him face to face, which speaks to not a literal face, but intimacy and accessibility. And I want to just share this to bring Jesus Christ into this, is that this story is also has a greater story that's pointing to Jesus Christ. Moses is a type for Jesus. And Moses would leave the camp, and he was a mediator, a reconciler between a holy God and Israel, sinful people. But at best, Moses, at best, would be able to reconcile God to come back and dwell in a tent in the Holy of Holies. That was at best. But this was always pointing to one who would come, whose name is Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ came, he too is a mediator and a reconciler between a holy God and a sinful people. And just as Moses had to go outside the camp to do this, so too Jesus Christ was dragged outside of the city of Jerusalem, outside of the camp where he hung on a cross, so that those who are most far from God could be brought near to him. Except Jesus doesn't just reconcile God to a tent that lives amongst us. He now reconciles God to actually live inside of us. And if Moses had access and intimacy with the living God, how much more now that we are in Christ can we go before him and ask God to move amongst our people? Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693-4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.